Welcome to this podcast of the New York City Bar Association. In this episode, access to insurance in underserved communities. John S. Pruitt, a member of the City Bar's Insurance Law Committee and a partner at Evershed Sutherland, speaks with Susan K. Neely, President and CEO of the American Council of Life Insurers, about what insurers are doing to offer life insurance and retirement security in traditionally underserved communities and the challenges insurers and agents face in doing so. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers and not necessarily of the City Bar. Here's John Pruitt. Hello, my name is John Pruitt, and I'm the practice group leader for insurance at the law firm Evershed Sutherland. This is the second in a series of podcasts on race and equity issues sponsored by the Committee on Insurance Law of the New York City Bar Association. Today, we welcome Susan Neely, the President and Chief Executive Officer of the American Council of Life Insurers, to talk about some of the things that are happening in the life and annuity field on these issues. Susan, just to level set, I'd like to ask for those who are not familiar with the ACLI, and if you could tell us a little bit about the organization and what it does. Well, thanks, John. Appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation about uh, one of our favorite subjects, the uh, insurance sector and life insurance specifically. So the ACLI, we're the trade association that really represents the life insurance sector. And for anybody who doesn't know what a trade association does, we really advance good public policy and advocacy in all relevant venues, whether that's with the insurance commissioners, whether that's with state legislatures and governors, whether that's with Congress or the White House and executive branch, or whether that's with uh, global regulators and policymakers. So that is our mission. As I, I like to tell people, we build the case and we make the case wherever that makes sense. Um, we are the premier trade association for the life insurance industry, so we represent 95% of industry assets and you know, think of the whole product spectrum from life insurance to retirement plans to annuities, uh, long-term care insurance, disability insurance, supplemental um, products. That is us. And uh, that translate, we all we like to translate things into what it means for consumers. That means we represent 90 million American families. Um, wow. Um, so the ACLI has been proactive on race and equity issues, it's adopted an, an economic empowerment and racial initiative. And it'd be great if you could tell us a little bit about it. I'm, well, thank you for asking because I'm extremely proud of this and I think it's a great example. Our economic empowerment and racial equity initiative is a great example of the power that comes from a uh, companies uniting to really advance toward a social objective. Our initiative, uh, of course, we have an acronym, EERE, is or economic empowerment and racial equity has four pillars, increasing access to these important financial security products in underserved communities, increasing the diversity of our workforce and governance, uh, advancing financial inclusion and education, and increasing investments in underserved communities. So big, bold, four major commitments or pillars, and underneath each of these, there are multiple actions and areas of focus going on. 
Uh, and for today's conversation, I'd like to take a, a deeper dive on increasing access, um, one of your four pillars. Um, it seems to me that a pillar aligns with one of the five work streams that have been set up by the NAIC's Special Committee on Race and Insurance. Um, work stream four, that initiative is charged with examining and determining practices and barriers in the insurance sector that potentially disadvantage people of color or historically underrepresented groups in the life insurance industry. First, I'd like to ask whether you agree there's, that there's a sound premise here, that, that there are indeed traditionally underserved communities where there continues to be a protection gap or a re retirement savings gap? Well, the short answer to your question is yes, we do agree. We know uh, because the data supports it that there is a gap. And um, our colleagues at LIMRA, uh, run by the very able Dave Levinson, has actually done the research that tells us what the gap is. The gap is 60 million families are uh, uninsured or underinsured um, by an average, uh, the average coverage gap, uh, Limer estimates, is $200,000. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, while we don't, we're not allowed to collect um, data by race, we um, believe and know that there's a healthy percent of Black and Brown Americans and, and women as well who are inadequately insured. And this is important. I mean, obviously, it's a there's a market opportunity here for all of uh, the life insurance companies. But importantly, if you look at it from the human consumer side, what do we do well as an industry? We help build financial security. We help build intergenerational wealth. Having a life insurance product can be core to really bringing a family into, you know, not just out of poverty, but into uh, the middle class and beyond. So how can we use what we know how to do to expand access to these important financial security products? That's really, really the objective. And we know there's a need and there's an opportunity there. Right. And the need would, you know, there would have been emphasis on that need as a result of COVID where um, certain communities were hit harder than others. Going back to the NAIC's initiatives, the, the co-chair of Work Stream 4, which is Wisconsin Insurance Commissioner uh, Mark Affable, has reported the Work Stream will continue to research and formulate some specific recommendations to address marketing, distribution, and access to insurance products in the minority community, including, including the role that financial literacy plays. Also, they'll address the impact of traditional life insurance underwriting on minority populations considering the relationship between mortality risk and disparate impact, and also whether there are other unresolved issues surrounding race in the life insurance industries, such as the impact and effect of accelerated underwriting on minority populations, and other issues that they'll consider worth, worth addressing. Um, my question to you is, do you, do you have any views about these issues and, and any actions that companies and, and regulators should be taking? Well, that's, it's a, it's a big topic and a big uh, meaty question. So uh, let me start by just uh, framing what we see the NEIC doing in this space. It, I know um, all the listeners are, are very plugged in, but um, 
from our perspective, the NAIC has really stepped up in to play a serious leadership role by creating their race and insurance pillar as the, the fifth pillar of their area of focus and setting up it structurally so that the elected officers will always there'll be always be an elected officer of the overall NEIC who's leading it. They've really established that A, this is a serious priority, and B, it's one they are going to sustain at the highest levels over the long haul. So kudos to the NEIC for thinking about it that way. And I would say we as ACLI tried to make sure that our economic empowerment and racial equity initiative mirrors the four pillars. It's hard to separate them because they're all interconnected in terms of what the, the consumer and societal goals are, that our focus mirrors the kinds of things that the NEIC is uh, looking at. And I'm proud to say that uh, not only has the NEIC established their race and insurance uh, pillar and are managing it and leading it at the highest level, but we had a unanimous approval of our board of directors to pursue all aspects of EERE. So just a context, if that's helpful for those who didn't understand the scope and the sustained commitment that NAIC intends to have in this place. Um, you know, I, I would say um, to try to start to break down your question, you know, as you think about access, we need to look at tools like accelerated underwriting. We think that's very important. We think the ability of the industry to use artificial intelligence and, and innovate digitally uh, will actually help advance the goal to achieve racial equity goals and to achieve access to um, these important financial security products. The key is the key is that we do it without we are able to catch any at all um, even unintentional consequences that could discriminate based on race or ethnicity. And we think that's very doable, but it's something we have to be purposeful about. The NEIC is being purposefully purposeful about it and ACLI is as well. Um, if I could unpackage that a little bit, use of accelerated underwriting and, and artificial intelligence has come under criticism by some because of uh, his historical biases in the data set or uh, biases in the in the riders of the programs, all leading to potential discriminatory out outputs. And if I understand what you're saying is, you, you know, when you say it's doable, that it can be done properly so that it, they eliminate that discriminatory effect, but it would be socially beneficial for these tools to be used to promote access and availability. If you could maybe explain why that is. What we believe is that by leveraging data analytics and artificial intelligence, uh, we can improve efficiencies and costs of the products that we're better, then we'll be better able to provide more products to more people, regardless of their income. So that's you know, one clear societal benefit and one important um, objective when it around the whole goal of increasing access to underserved communities. Certainly accelerated, um, automated or accelerated underwriting was widely used prior to the pandemic. So my statistics are 86% of North American life insurers uh, had or were planning to implement uh, automated or accelerated underwriting programs and this takes 
processing from application to approval from 27 days to nine days, right? That was all there before the pandemic. And then the pandemic came and that has increased or accelerated the use of these tools. So that's the positive benefit of these and can make it access to just getting, um, applying for insurance much easier, right? But then we think it's important, and this is uh, from ACLI's uh, perspective, we support the development of regulatory framework for use of algorithms that identifies and avoids any unfair, biased, or discriminatory decisions based on consumers' race. So that takes us to the nexus of what NEIC is looking at, mm-hmm. and we support that process and, again, support the development of a regulatory framework. I would further say, uh, not only do we support it, but you know our leadership, our executive leadership last summer said, this is hard. We have to figure this out in the interest of being supportive of what NEIC is trying to do. So they asked us to form a group, I call them the Brainiacs group of you know, data scientists, chief medical officers, actuaries, lawyers, um, that was led by our chief actuary, Paul Graham. They met weekly or weeks, sometimes six hours, 10 hours a week to develop some principles that can, again, be supportive of what NEIC is trying to do. So we're taking it very seriously because we think the benefits are there to achieve the goal of increasing access to underserved communities, um, but we have to do it right. And we are um, certainly offering our expertise and points of view to NAIC um, with an eye toward helping get it right. Okay, great. No, and you know, one of my questions is on these issues, whether private industry can manage them on their own or whether any government action is warranted. And I mean, you've indicated, you know, you discussed a regulatory framework. And is that, do you have in mind a regulatory framework that adds additional processes or protections or one that involves some level of reform to allow kind of new and innovative products that are promote access to be deployed more quickly? Well, I guess at this point we have um, ideas and we'll share them with our regulators and in the NEIC process. But again, we believe the goal of not, I mean, you can't impede access to these important innovative tools of artificial intelligence and, you know, using digital capability to reach more people. So you got to keep both goals in mind and not just say no. And we don't see the NEIC as trying to do that. And, you know, and we'll work with them to be part of the solution. Thanks. Um, What about um, traditional products sold through traditional distribution channels? Do you do you see any innovations being deployed or that people are talking about that would, you know, again, promote greater ease of access and greater accessibility in underserved communities? Well, we know it's a fact that people of different races and ethnicities are more likely to engage with um, somebody who is of their own race and ethnicity. So again, an important objective has to be to increase the diversity of our distribution workforce and the workforce inside the companies. I think every you, if you were sitting around the ACLI boardroom table, you know that everybody's talking about how to do this. I think all the companies are working on it, and, as well as our colleagues at uh, FinSECA and NAPA and uh, the trade associations that represent the distribution force. Um, you know, I, we think there's 
there's outreach that has to happen. We also think there are uh, regulatory reforms that need to happen to make it easier. For instance, Commissioner May in Connecticut, he one of the first things he did when he came on board as commissioner was authorize the producer licensing exam to be given in Spanish so that Spanish speaking um, applicants would be able to take the test and, uh, and you know and achieve their license more easily. So I think these kind of reforms have to be looked at as well to facilitate that process. But certainly from the carrier standpoint and the uh, agent producer standpoint, it's outreach, it's engagement, it's talking about, you know, starts with STEM programs in high schools and uh, colleges and being right there with the, some of our competition for the best and brightest to in the technology world to bring them into our very mission-oriented uh, life insurance industry and get people excited about what they can do here. So then in turn, they will, will increase the ability to um, engage with other consumers of different races and ethnicities. Recruitment, recruitment to the next generation. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's a challenge. Here's a frustrating thing. You know, if, for this generation, you know, millennials, Gen Z, that is so mission oriented and wants to do good, what are you doing over there at Facebook and Google? Come on in, you know, yeah. come to the uh, industry that uh, really takes care of people and you right. know helps them build financial security. Right. It's so obvious to us, but hard to hard, whatever it is, it's harder to communicate to to, well, to younger. We people. obviously need a TikTok, you know, uh, <laughs> channel or something like that that will yeah. not star me, uh, but yeah. uh, they'll have brilliant others. I'm yeah, not auditioning. I mean, other regulatory um, modernization that we need is, uh, you know, the ability to use uh, technology again. Pandemic showed we can do e-notarizations. We can do e-signatures. Um, this is a benefit to consumers. I mean, we have regulations set in place from 20 years ago. So think back to fax machines. And, uh, right. you know, you had to prove that you had the ability to use technology before you could um, be given the ability to sign electronically, right? That's how a lot of the regulations are set up. Well, that's just, you know, that's so last century. Um, so those are the kind of things that we really hope that the NAIC will embrace. We believe they will because we proved how well it could work during the pandemic. So, um, well, in some, I mean, it, it sounds to me you're optimistic that uh, some of these activities that are underway can have a meaningful impact for economic and racial equity at large. You know, I, I hear the enthusiasm <laughs> on what you're talking about, but, uh, you know, I just want to ask you, you know, do, do, you, do you think these things can have a meaningful impact near term and midterm and long term? Absolutely. I think the life insurance sector is uniquely positioned to really advance toward the objective. Can we solve every issue related to racial equity and injustice? No, but we have a lot of abilities and assets at our disposal. Uh, obviously, we provide important products that you know improve people's uh, financial security and can help close the wealth gap. So that's one unique ability and, and knowledge that we have. We also are the long-term patient capital and we invest in things that make this country go. You know. Um, 
we're investing $640 million a day in housing and agriculture loans and small businesses and public education programs. So that's another place that you've got some fine New York-based companies, you know, New York Life, MetLife, TIA Naveen, a guardian um, across the border, um, Prudential in uh, Newark are doing, are very aggressive in this space to think about how to use their capital to address the needs of underserved communities. So that's another whole area where I think we can um, make a difference. So yes, I'm very bullish on this and I will speak again on behalf of my distinguished board of directors. They are in for the long haul. And so that's what also gives me confidence that we can um, move the needle in a really positive way. That's, that's great to hear and it's all very encouraging. So, well, thank you for your, for your remarks. It's um, great to hear the insights and it's really great to hear where the industry is and where it's going and where it wants things to go. So, uh, right. Susan, I, I thank you very much for your time. Well, John, I appreciate being part of uh, this conversation. And of course, I my last um, point uh, has to relate to uh, the New York Financial Services Department where the Deputy Superintendent Michi To has been very much a leader in what NEICC is doing with race and insurance. Of course, Superintendent Lacewell has headlined our inaugural uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion conference uh, in um, that was in New York, and uh, we appreciate their leadership as well. Well, thank you. Okay. Well, thanks again. Um, it's a wrap. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this New York City Bar Association podcast. Opinions expressed are those of the speakers and not necessarily of the City Bar. Find more City Bar podcasts and program audio on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, or on our website at nycbar.org podcasts.